Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode 24, entitled Technical Trauma. I have been doing a lot of thinking about this subject lately as it relates to my own teaching over the years and my own performing. It is a subject very dear to my heart, having worked with countless students coming to me during different stages in their development. And it's also a subject I have my own experience with in my training as a violinist, moving from one teacher and stage experience to another. I will be using all of my perspectives here today. Teacher, performer, mother, studio parent, the works. They are all needed so that we can open dialogues about how to build healthy technique, and how to deal and repair from the inevitable stress of training and performance. You see, technical trauma, to me, is a part of being an artist, and the first thing I want to point out is that it isn't always someone's fault. In fact, most of the time, I don't believe it is. Life and stage creates wrinkles in our technique and in our minds, which we wear over time, And when we are training young people and raising artists, we need to be aware of how certain decisions and situations can leave more of an imprint on them. So let's get started. What is technical trauma? That sounds pretty dramatic, right? To me, technical trauma has many definitions. It could be that you have such a negative association with a certain technique, never turning out to your satisfaction, that you avoid it now. You view it as traumatic to even try it again. It could be that you injured yourself doing a specific skill set too many times and now are afraid to get near it for good reason. You experienced physical trauma from it. Or maybe you have a performance that was so difficult for you that even that composer now is one you would rather steer away from because of the feelings it conjures up for you. Cue emotional trauma, feelings of shame and insecurity. Sometimes a teacher or an adjudicator has informed you that a particular style of music is not one you will excel at or made you feel as if it doesn't suit you at all. Maybe they pushed you past a healthy point in your work and you're still recovering. I've been through all of these things. How far reaching is it? And what can we do to minimize the imprint of these things on our talented kids? First, let's talk about how technical trauma happens and be a bit more specific. Technical trauma can permanently scar a piece. It might be a piece that could have otherwise been perfect for you. This could be a piece you weren't quite ready for or one which contained techniques that were not yet in your arsenal, so to speak. You experienced a fair amount of discomfort or stress learning it, and it never got you to a point where you felt free or expressive. Perhaps you had a few performances on it and you were left feeling deflated. This piece is one you might avoid now, but also there are subcategories within this piece that may also conjure up those same feelings and cause you to avoid. I don't think people think about the subcategories enough or how the trauma can spread. Feelings of inadequacy, tension, or even pain can carry into another piece by way of things they all hold in common. So examples of subcategories might be that said piece was a waltz, that it contained thirds, 
that there was a rhythmic or bow pattern that caused you to trip every time. Now, whenever you encounter these things or more, you re-experience the trauma of having played that original piece. Maybe it wasn't a key you don't play often or had a whole section in fourth position or an entire page of Sautier. If any of these subcategories appear together or in groups, I call that layering. And then you might find yourself experiencing those sets of feelings times 10. So if it is just Sautier in another piece, it might cause you to reflect. But if it is Sautier in the same key, in the same positions, in the same tempo, you will feel all of those things more deeply. How about a stage experience? causing technical trauma. Sometimes we have had something happen in a performance, and let me say straight away, it might not be your fault, that causes a technical collapse of sorts. This is something the body can perceive as a trauma. It can jar us in real time with a heavy dose of adrenaline, and these incidents are not preventable. I have had mistakes happen in concert that were my own fault, of course, haven't we all? But I have also had very large mistakes or collapses happen because another person on stage has made a mistake that then affected me in turn. We're all human. Maybe someone skipped measures or there was a faulty page turner or someone who had their own technical disaster right before an entrance of mine. And yes, we can prepare to be fluid and resilient, but only to a certain extent. Once, when I was playing the Prokofiev Concerto No. 1 with orchestra, there was a spot where the winds and then the strings had a series of counting errors, one after the other. I found myself playing eighth notes in collet that were already not exactly simple, and having to do math in quick time to figure out how everyone could merge and be back on beat one. I did it by erasing some notes, and I tried to remain fluid, but that spot in that concerto has now an imprint on it. Even when I play it now, years later, my adrenaline goes up. Something happened to me on that stage that night which left a mark on me, and it hasn't quite gotten sanded down yet. So sometimes a piece will sustain damage in a specific section or have a lasting traumatic trigger attached to it, which causes both hand tension and a flood of emotions. It might have been totally perfect and fluid before the incident happened, but now it has kind of a little bit of scar tissue around it and it will need to be reworked. Performed again fluidly and without incident many times before it recovers. Subcategories for this might include the person you were performing with or the orchestra or the conductor, the composer, the stage, the technical skill sets which were dismantled during the incident, you name it. How about another cause for technical trauma? I call this next one a four-bar relationship. A four-bar relationship is when there is something very difficult for you to manage in a piece that you've had to repeat over and over again and have really never conquered. This type of repetitive work with no resolution 
can be very damaging in my opinion. Stay tuned on how to avoid this later in the podcast. But this type of tension and the emotions attached like anxiety and helplessness can stick for years. And there will be subcategories here too that can have real staying power. You might have drilled these four bars into your system really deeply, especially if there have been countless days of repetitions and frustrations. I have a great example of this that I tell everyone who enters my studio. It might sound silly at first, but I think it's incredibly illustrative. When I was in grade school, I approached the Sites Concerto in the Suzuki method, and there's a spot in the Sites Concerto where there are double stops. It was pretty much the first time I had encountered double stops, and so this was both exciting and it had a level of expectation, and I basically just wanted to nail it. I worked very hard at this section, but I never felt really free or confident about it. It had my hand in a different position. I think that I was carrying a lot of tension in my left hand associated with those double stops. And even when I could play it in the end, it wasn't with joy. The interesting thing is that now, years later, when I demonstrate the Sites Concerto in this particular spot for students, I encountered those same negative emotions. I have to actually talk myself down because they're still there this many years later. We're talking upwards of 35 years later, and clearly I can play the Sites Concerto now, but those emotions are still there. Somebody asked me once, well, why don't you rework those emotions? Isn't it time for you to play the Sites Concerto with full joy and confidence? I'd say yes, it probably is. But it serves as a beautiful reminder to me of how careful I need to be and how I teach and also in how I learn new works. So I've left it. Truthfully, I think we all have pieces in our past that if we resurrect them and try and play them today, There might be emotional artifacts still there, and maybe it's just a case of needing to update our files, so to speak. Hey, look, I can do double stops now, and I don't even need to have tension in my left hand in order to do it. Updating our files is something we may need to do for interpretations, too. That shift isn't a problem for me anymore, so I can freely glide up there and have my hand expressive and pure. Let's talk about another cause for technical trauma. How about a period in your life? Sometimes for me, there's been a particularly painful time in my life where I had to continue working to keep things afloat, but truly the peripheral of my life was in turmoil. One such time was when my mom was in the end of her battle with cancer. I was learning the Nielsen Concerto at that time. I love that concerto, and I've played it many times with orchestra. I will still play it, but it triggers me. So I have come to expect that when I set about my first week's practice on it, I will experience a sense of tension, loss, depression, a feeling of helplessness, and also fear. These are emotions none of us would like to have, but I can work through them and still play the violin the way I do. 
Unfortunately, they also bring about feelings of tension, worry, and anxiety. Those make playing more difficult. I have the same associations with the pieces I performed at her memorial service. And then you can add subcategories to this. I might feel those emotions to a lesser degree, but I feel similarly when I play Nielsen's Sonata. And from the memorial, I carry a certain reaction to works by Debussy. The emotions of my life were so high back then that they have left an imprint. I will likely be redoing these pieces and trying to rewire my body's response to them for years. Keep in mind that some of these emotions you can work with and still play the violin very well, and others bring about tension and anxiety, and this can hamper our technique and kind of serve as a roadblock for expression. Here are a few simpler causes for technical trauma. How about a rhythm? Sometimes certain complex rhythms within pieces can be incredibly hard for us to achieve without feelings of frustration and tension, or maybe we never feel comfortable with them in the end. Many times this involves another person and coordinating rhythm with them like two against three or three against four, maybe it's syncopation, Once you struggle hard with a rhythm like this, you may form a negative association that you will undoubtedly see again many times in different contexts. It reappears like trauma in whatever your next piece is that contains it. It might not even be you that was having the problem if you were doing two against three with another person, but the imprint is still there. In these cases, I find we generally have introduced complex rhythm in a context which is too difficult, and so the added pressure is just too much. If we had done a rhythmic exercise in open strings or clapping for a bit, it might have changed the outcome significantly. Or how about a specific technique or skill set? Technical trauma can obviously also occur through a technique like uppo staccato or tenths or fingered octaves for violinists. Maybe it's running thirds or harmonics or playing high in position on the G string. If when you first played a piece with these, you weren't quite ready for it and it required you to do countless repetitions which caused tension and very negative emotions, you will re-encounter those like triggers when you see them again. And keep in mind, these might be techniques that with proper gradual training and instruction could have been very naturally achieved for you. This next one is a huge one for me as a teacher and now as Ava's mom. I think predisposition can sometimes cause technical trauma. I believe technical long-lasting trauma can occur when a teacher or even another player predisposes us to something as being very difficult or tension-inducing. It is very difficult for me to watch Ava do tenths for the first time without saying anything about how hard they are for me. I have very small hands, but Ava does not. By not saying a word, her first encounter with them was more about the structure of her hand frame, and she was able to do them actually without any tension and just looked at me and said, is this right? There will be so many techniques that are easy for you that could be hard for someone else and vice versa. I work hard with students and with Ava to leave my own relationships with techniques and pieces out of the equation so as not to pass on tension or fear to them. Once they have shown me how their bodies are responding to each technique, 
I can meet them where they are and guide them. Now that we have talked about what technical trauma is to me and some examples of how it can happen, let's talk about how an artist's temperament and training can add to this. Many parents I know do not have the temperament of an artist, so this can be surprising for them to hear. The temperament of a young artist and how they approach their music can include a higher chance of obsessing over details, perfectionism, insecurity, fear of judgments or comparisons, all of which can lead to over-repetition or practice. Vast amounts of repetition, while not scientifically proven to be helpful in most cases, can serve some students as a salve over their anxieties. But if they are in their repetitions feeling stress, tension, negative emotions, or engaging in negative self-talk, they are also inducing technical trauma that could last for years. Remember my story about the sights concerto? You need to remember how broad-reaching some of the subcategories can be, too. With a healthy mindset, some parental and teacher supervision over practice, and a solid education on efficient practice, including the use of spaced repetition, I believe a child can avoid technical trauma through practice. I also believe we can help them reduce the amount of trauma that they sustain through subpar rehearsals or performance experiences. I also want to take note today that there is a huge stigma associated still with musicians who sustain injuries, and so often pain or tension is left under-discussed or not discussed at all. Let's compare this for a minute to how athletes are treated on the field if they experience even a slight pull or injury. They're carried off the field to cheers in the stadium, heroes almost. If you are a musician with an injury, you are not likely to even talk about it to even close friends if you're a professional, for fear it will affect your ability to be hired back or included in projects. Injury often stems from tension in playing and technical trauma. So I see these things as all very related. We need to talk more about how to avoid sustaining this trauma to further avoid actual injury. And let me tell you that if a section of a piece injures you through practice, this is a very traumatic technical trauma. Here's some real talk, too. Young musicians are often pushing themselves past the point of reason to accomplish a piece or prepare an audition. They can be woefully unaware of the demands that playing takes on their bodies as a whole. They pay much more attention to hours practiced than to the quality of their work, and this alone can lead to repetitive motion injury. Overuse injuries are so common in our field, they are virtually accepted as part of the deal, when in my view, they shouldn't be at all. So what are the specific effects of the technical trauma I've been outlining today? How do we know we have it, and how does it present itself both short-term and long-term? Short-term effects to me are that students are fearful of basic techniques, which are crucial to their development. Approaching technique with fear or negative connotations can affect a student's sense of musical identity and warp their idea of what unique qualities they bring to the stage. Here's an example. 
I worked so hard and so long with such constant criticism on my collet, I thought it was the worst in my technical skill sets when I went to conservatory. When I first played something with collet in it for my French teacher, I was already nervous even arriving for my lesson. I knew this wasn't my strongest card to play, but I couldn't avoid it in the piece that he had chosen for me, which was a contemporary piece necessary for competition. He stopped me cold and said, where did you learn that collet? And I thought, oh no, here we go. I probably turned white as a sheet. All of my lessons there were public with a few people attending at all times. I responded that I learned it from my teacher in the United States. And he said, interesting. Can you play that section for me again? Suddenly I feared that I was being set up for failure or somehow mocked in a room full of my peers. I played it again to the best of my ability. And to my surprise, he turned to me and said, this is actually the best collet I've seen in your age group. Your teacher did an excellent job. I wasn't expecting that at all. And suddenly, I realized that all of that pent-up work and tension and negative self-talk had actually kept me from doing pieces with Collet for years. That very year, I celebrated by picking many pieces that contained it, but the example stuck with me. Maybe my first experience with it was so traumatic because it was so new and hard for me that it convinced me I should avoid it forever. Thank goodness my French teacher, who by the way could be a real bear at times and wasn't one to dole out compliments, chose the words he did with me that day and restored my faith in myself with this particular technique. I might have avoided so much literature had it not been for that one exchange and some of that literature taught me who I am as a violinist. With my students now, if they express fear at a certain technique or skill, I smile and tell them, I'm here to help update your files. They might be better at it than they know, or right around the corner from conquering it, if they can let go of the emotions attached to it. Long-term effects can include injury through repetitive motion and tension, this can be catastrophic, but it's worth mentioning. I don't believe that students should have to work through pain or high levels of tension. Beautiful technique feels beautiful, empowering, and good. Getting there takes a heck of a lot of patience and hard work, but pain and tension should not be accepted as a part of this process. Why do our bodies remember for so many years these negative emotions and tensions. What is science telling us about this? I did a fair amount of research on this episode because there are things in my own training and teaching that have been fascinating to me. Like most podcasts of mine, this one was inspired by teaching and training. So let's talk about something which is more scientific for a moment to ground us all for a bit. Let's talk about fascia for a moment and why certain pieces or technical issues or even the emotions surrounding certain aspects of our playing will follow us for years. Bear with me while I get technical. For a long time, muscle fascia was considered to be just the white saran wrap around your muscles. 
A friend of mine that went to med school said they were instructed to remove the fascia from cadavers so that they could study the important stuff underneath. This is how most doctors, massage therapists, yoga instructors, all were taught to view the human body. As it turns out, this is a huge mistake. Your muscle fascia is important to every move you make. So when it's tight or damaged, you may suffer from a number of symptoms, including headaches, muscle pain, neck and back pain, general lack of flexibility, and poor posture. The most common reasons for tight fascia are prolonged sitting or standing and lack of stretching. In addition, any type of intense physical training that uses repetitive motion or increases your likelihood for bad posture can cause your fascia to be tight. And of course, trauma can also be a culprit. This could be in the form of physical trauma, such as an injury, or it can also be in the form of emotional trauma. Every inch of your body is encased in fascia. It is a fluid system that every cell in your body relies on for proper functioning. It is, in essence, a crystalline structure that literally holds all of the information of your life. Your fascia has the ability to contract and relax independently of the muscles it surrounds. Because of this, it can respond to stress without you even knowing it. Needless to say, when your fascia is tight or inflamed, it can cause a great deal of pain. In fact, it can be the primary source of chronic or referral pain for many people. Your fascia also holds your emotional memories. Sadness, pain, and past emotional trauma can get locked deep in your fascia. If you have ever found yourself crying during acupuncture, it's because the therapy has assisted you in releasing emotions, including anxieties, fears, angers. They all take residence in your fascia. Sound familiar to the rest of my episode today? Maintaining movement and staying hydrated are two ways to have healthy fascia. However, repetitive movements actually assist in drying out the fascia, and therefore varied movements will help keep the fascia system healthy, allowing for the tissues to rehydrate. Because musicians move isolated muscles and tendons while playing their instrument, the fascia becomes tight and therefore has a limited range of motion. For a violinist, the fascia will become tight since the bow arm moves in one motion repetitively in practice. As a result, Fascia surrounding the arm and elbow will only have the flexibility that is needed to complete that certain task or motion if you're not careful. Without varying motions with warm-ups or exercise and stretching, the fascia and muscles will become tight and cause stress and fatigue that could lead to injury. How does this relate to the sometimes insane amount of repetitions a lot of us do in our practice or in the general learning of our instruments through foundational technique. To have a healthy fascia, which is elastic and aids in coordination, elasticizing technique, and muscle memory, you need to, amongst other things, stay hydrated, stretch, and avoid repetitive motions in favor of a varied motion approach to training. How does this connect to the idea of spaced repetition? 
as we learn more about the benefits of spaced repetition and its efficacy in training musicians, it becomes more and more clear how this relates to keeping the body elastic, responsive, and expressive. We shouldn't be doing the same things ad nauseum. We should be doing them mindfully and effectively and then creating space by doing something else in the interim. Varied motion, remember? Not only will this lead to a more responsive body and technique, but if you create space by adding variety in styles or periods of music, you are also building a beautiful ear, one which doesn't grow stagnant to vast repetitions and instead is sensitive and responsive. Okay, let's talk prevention. How do we work together as parents, students, and teachers to prevent technical trauma so that our young musicians can grow beautifully and stay on track? First and foremost, I advise everyone to avoid approaching a technique first in a difficult context. Remember my episode entitled No Stone Left Unturned? Prepare your young artist for these technical milestones through exercises, technical etudes, and even preparatory pieces that are designed to acclimate the body to these added skill sets so that students are ready to go once they get to the bigger works. Next, make a commitment to warming up on and away from the instrument, taking breaks, and increasing postural awareness. Consider inserting more variety in how you achieve your technical work through etudes, scales, and arpeggios to increase versatility and work different muscles, keeping fascia healthy and hydrated. This in turn will elasticize your technique, make it more fluid and responsive, leading to more consistency in your performances. Avoid excessive repetitions whenever possible. Increase your awareness on why those repetitions are happening in your practice if you have trouble veering away from them by habit. Work instead on the emotions present if they are ones which attach to fear, inadequacy, or shame. While doing 10 more repetitions might feel like something that will help you sleep the night before an audition, it also might be drilling tension deeper into your playing. Tension that could last for years. Work to reduce tension in your playing by going slower and holding a higher standard on the comfort in your playing. If you are playing a piece and you feel panic in your body, you are training that emotion into the piece itself, drilling it deeply and into any subcategory it contains. This can be incredibly far-reaching, and if there is one takeaway from this episode I wish for my listeners to think about, it is that. It's an act of discipline to slow down and be exigent with your work so that you can play at the tempo where there is no tension and then push the tempo up gently each day toward your goal. Artistic freedom does not contain fear or tension, so we need to inspire students to remove tension and negative emotions from their practice by working slower and more mindfully. What can we do to reverse it? From my descriptions of where technical trauma occur, you know that sometimes it can happen through no fault of your own. Sometimes it happens through a period of time in your life or through a relationship with an instructor where things went off track. Maybe it happens on stage when someone else is having a problem. 
One thing I know for sure through my own training and now through teaching and performing is that this trauma is reversible. Yes, you will need to retrace your steps and you will likely also have to re-encounter some of the negative emotions attached to a piece, a technique, a period, or a style of music. But this is all worth it. For some pieces where stage trauma occurred, I needed a few more times on that work with success to feel it fully heal. I could have easily backed away from additional opportunities on those works or suggested other concerti instead, but to me the music was too beautiful to put away. With techniques that have sustained trauma through repetitions or frustration, I have been keen on encountering them in a more comfortable context so that I can handle them with greater ease. Through teaching, I have also been able to reintroduce myself to techniques in a friendlier environment, and this has been incredibly helpful in healing past damage. One analogy that tends to explain my philosophy on training through past trauma or rehab work and teaching is to compare it a bit to the process of exposures for someone who has a phobia. Anyone who has had or knows someone with a genuine phobia knows that their reaction to whatever it is can be very extreme, whether it's a spider or a thunderstorm. To get past it, a medical professional will sometimes put them through a series of exposures to help them gradually acclimate back to the presence of the thing that they are terrified of. So for the sake of this explanation, let's pretend it's a spider. To introduce the spider back into the patient's life without severe emotional reactions being triggered, the doctor will start small. First, just talk about the spider. Maybe show a few pictures of it. If the stress level becomes too high, they back off and they'll reapproach the next week. They deal with the emotions, manage them as they come, in small increments. The idea is to not allow complete terror to erupt, but to keep the anxiety level low or stable. So maybe just the mention of the spider in the first day raises the heart rate up of the patient enough for that to be the first day of therapy. Maybe a picture will do it. But it's monitored. Only a certain amount of anxiety is permitted. Then the professional pulls it all back and removes the stressor entirely. Maybe they will recharacterize the spider in a friendlier way, give it a name, talk about its traits as an animal and funny endearing qualities it might have in its own habitat far, far away. Now let's move this to violin. Maybe I have a violinist that has developed a severe aversion to upbow staccato. I will first wait for them to be in a receptive mood and then show them different ways to play it slowly that aren't high octane and sound quality or play them a Chrysler-friendly showpiece like Schoen Rosmarin, which has a fluffier, G-rated uppo staccato. Then we might watch some videos and talk about how different people do it differently, what we like about each of them, some things that we don't. What effect does it have? Is it happy? Exciting? Lighthearted? What are some fun ways composers use uppo staccato? What is its value in violent technique? I gauge how much I expose them to by watching their anxiety level. Maybe at a future lesson, I might point out some upbow staccato in a piece we're not currently working on, just to see their reaction. 
This is the Yuppo staccato we talked about before. I like it here a lot because it adds X, Y, and Z. What do you think? This is a piece I don't plan on playing with you anytime soon, but it sure does look interesting. Next, we might do some up staccato in scales and etudes, or maybe just open strings in different ways to introduce new textures. Maybe throw in one which is stickier and more forceful sounding just to see their reaction. This generally triggers them a bit. And then I might tell them a funny story about how the up staccato messed me up one day, but then I figured out how to make it work and now I use it all the time. After a few months of this back and forth, eventually inside a piece we feel already very comfortable in, we will find ourselves encountering the friendliest upbow staccato imaginable. We have learned about a thousand other skill sets inside this time too, but bingo, here we are doing upbow staccato in easy format. The key here is to somehow create opportunities for there to be a positive association with upbow staccato. Easier format, positive experiences. Eventually, we will recreate a relationship with a technique that once filled us with dread, tension, shame, and a sense of inadequacy. We're rock stars. Is this easy? No. Does it take time? Yes. But the point I'm making is that rehab is possible. As a violinist, one thing we are blessed with is an immense amount of literature to dig into. I believe that it is possible to find all skill sets in easier contexts that can serve students to rehabilitate technique and the emotional damage that is associated with them. It is slow and tedious work, but it is also intensely rewarding, and it is something that rarely leads to regret. For some, the idea of moving backwards can be painful in and of itself because it brings about feelings of resentment, time lost, and missed opportunities. But I prefer to concentrate on the body's ability to be resilient. That paired with the fact that music itself is a natural healer makes me believe almost any student can find themselves on higher ground before long. We have to be willing to do things differently to treat our bodies and our minds with more kindness and respect, and to fully commit to hard work. I hope this podcast serves many and that it sparks some new conversations in private studios, institutions, and at home with our young artists in practice. This is a subject very dear to my heart and one which I think deserves ample time in music education everywhere. Don't miss our next episode. I will be devoting an entire episode to stage fright and how to work with young artists that have it. This is an important episode that I've been building toward, and I hope that it is something that everyone can glean something from. Even those of us who have not struggled with this issue can play with more confidence and ease. And so I hope you will join me for this episode especially. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect. <laughs>